Lord, we thank you for the gift of life, and we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom there is life. And Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that as we dig into the text today, Lord, that you would convict our hearts and our minds. And Father, I pray that today you would feed your people. And Lord, I pray that you would use me to do so. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's no secret if you have uh, any sort of uh, titles or subtitles in your Bible that Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 starts out with in relation to money. And so don't get too squirmy in your seats. I think you'll like the way that we treat this treatment of money today. But before we jump into uh, talking about money, people think, right, that preachers talk about money all the time. People have this uh, inclination that, that preachers just sit in their office and they, they wring their hands together and they just, how can I get them for more money? That's not the case at all. I hope that what you find is that you find an incredible amount of freedom that comes from this text and that this isn't a legalistic text that we're going to hit, but this is a text that's actually going to free you up to do good things. And then I'll kind of give you a philosophy that I have as a pastor that I think that you'll see some freedom in as well. And I, I hope that you leave here liberated as opposed to convicted because if you're if you're doing what the text says boy you should leave here on cloud nine and if you're not hopefully that you will get things right with God and then having left here right with God you will also leave here encouraged but before we start and we before we start talking about money and treasures I want you to know that there's approximately 500 verses in scripture that talk about prayer Right? About 500 that talk about prayer. There's a little less than 500 verses in Scripture that talk about faith. Right? And you would say that prayer and faith are two very important things, right? So one, there's just over 500. Faith, there's just under 500. 2,350 times the Scriptures speak about money and how to use money. You get that? I'm not going to give you any statistics because you know I'm bad with math. But about 2,350 times the scriptures talk about how you use money. And today we're going to talk about this one in the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And so what in the world do you do with what Jesus is doing here? Now, I'm going to couple this with verses 25 through 34, and we're going to kind of close with those verses. But the point here that Jesus is getting across is he says, listen, you should not be doing all of your working and all of your striving so that you can build up treasures on this earth, right? I told you that I've just kind of gone through a series and our church has kind of gone through a series of, we have had a lot of deaths recently. And uh, I just recently lost my grandmother who I was close to. And that's the first family member that I've been close to that I've lost in a long time. And it's the first one since I've been um, older and not in high school that I lost a family member. And then I was kind of responsible for some of the things that happened after the death. And I realized more than ever 
and I told you this already, that when you die, all of your treasures will be carried off in cardboard boxes, right? They're going to be divvied up amongst people that are left behind. And then the things that are important to you that nobody else wants, they're probably going to be taken in the back of a pickup truck to an auction house, and they're going to get auctioned off to the highest bidder. And if you are still alive, if there's a chance that you could see from heaven your treasures being auctioned off, it would be just like having a yard sale where you sell some things that you like but you need to get rid of, and you go, really? I was only asking $2 for my favorite fishing pole, and you're trying to talk me down to one? Give me a break. And that's how I think that you would see your treasures if you could come back and you could see things after you're gone. And so Jesus says, listen, it's important that you store up for yourselves Don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy things and thieves break in and steal. You know as well as I do that uh, several years ago, we were all pumping money into retirement accounts. And many of us were on the bad side of a market crash and lost half, if not more, of everything that we had seemingly overnight. One quarter financial statement comes in and things are looking good. And the next quarter, it's like, wait a minute. Where did the train crash? What is going on? And so now we're all moving our money to different accounts so we don't lose any more. And Jesus says that, listen, you don't need to store up treasures on earth. And I'm not, I'm not knocking retirement accounts. We're going to get there in a second. But we need to be careful where we're putting all of our treasure so that nothing can destroy it. And the only safe place where you can keep your treasures, the only place where you can store up treasures that won't get auctioned off and won't get fought over by your children is when you store up treasures in heaven. Because for eternity's sake, you're going to be much more happy for an eternity when you meet people in heaven that you led to the Lord as opposed to having all of these toys on earth that you'll have to leave behind. I guarantee you that. And so he goes on, and then he says this, verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so this is a unique scripture, because it says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so what this means is that your checkbook has the power to steer your heart. Are you getting this? If you wish that you are a more spiritual person, if you wish that you are a more godly individual, if you lay in bed at night and you go, I wish I, I wish I cared more like other people care in the church, there's a remedy. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I was, I was sitting in bed last night and I was trying to think of something that none of us cared about. I even asked my wife, I said, hey, Jesse, what is something that nobody in our church gives a care about at all? And I couldn't come up with anything. Like, there's nothing that I thought would be safe to pick on to say that none of us care about. But listen, if your grandmother died, and let's say that, I I think, I don't know this for sure, but I'm pretty sure that none of us is into ice climbing, right? None of us are going to set out next week and climb Mount Everest, nothing like that. But if your grandmother died and she left you stock, right? She left you stock in apparel companies that sell apparel for you to climb Mount Everest, Pretty quickly, you would gain an interest in how the weather is on Mount Everest and how much clothing is being sold so people can climb Mount Everest. You get in the picture here? Now that you have a, a, a physical investment in something, now you care a little bit more about it. I have an app on my phone that tells me the weather in any city that I pick. Alaska's not on there. 
right? But if I suddenly owned a business in Alaska where I took people fishing, I would be very, very interested in what the weather was doing on a daily basis because I have investments there, right? Right? Maybe you don't care now about people in Africa drinking water and having water to drink, but if you started giving money to people who were drilling wells in Africa, pretty soon you would find that you have a deep longing in your heart to know if those people are getting water and how that whole clean water in Africa thing is working out. All because that's where your treasure is and that's where your heart is going to be also. And so you have the ability with your checkbook to steer where your heart is. Then he says, the eye of the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. And what he's talking about here is he's talking about greed. That if your eyes are greedy, in the next verse, your whole body is going to be bad. But he says here that if, you, if your lamp, the, the lamp, excuse me, the eye is the lamp of the body, if it's clear, your whole body is going to be full of light. And then on the contrary, verse 23, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And so he says here that if your eyes are clear, if you're free from greed, if you're not storing up treasures in heaven, then your eyes are going to be clear and you're going to have light in your body. But if you are a greedy individual, you will be filled with nothing but darkness. Do any of you know wealthy people who are greedy? Now, I am very thankful that I feel like I know some pretty wealthy people. And all of the wealthy people I know are godly. I don't know any wealthy people who are only after one more dollar. But what did Rockefeller say at the end of his life, the big oil tycoon? When he was interviewed, somebody said, how much is enough? And what did he say? One more dollar. So here you have a guy who is only interested in one more dollar, one more dollar, one more dollar. And when you are only focused on treasures and wealth, you will stop at nothing to get more of it. And it will keep you from being a generous person and it will keep you from being somebody who cares about others more than you care about yourself. Have you ever seen this? Maybe in other people? Maybe? And you know that this same tendency has the exact same tendencies can well up in us if we are not seeking first the kingdom of God. And so then he's going to go on to say, no one can serve two masters. This is verse 24. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And so here you see that you cannot be a greedy individual chasing after dollars, 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 and say that you love Christ also. We have to be people who pursue Christ at any and every expense, and then along the way we're earning our living and we're, we're earning money. Now, he has in no way here in these scriptures, in verses 19 through 24, said that wealth is a bad thing. You hearing me? If you're here and you're wealthy, you are not in sin. The scriptures are going to go on to say that the root of all evil is the love of money. And so the heart of all of these passages comes down to greed and building up treasures in heaven as opposed to building our empire here on earth. Now, listen, if... You love money more than you love Christ. You're in a bad situation, right? And that's a situation that is in dire need of repentance because you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve your love of money and serve your Savior as well. You're going to love one and hate the other like the text says. So how do we balance these things? What do we do when it comes to saving money for retirement and all of these other things? Well, listen, if you were to go back to the book of Proverbs... 
Proverbs chapter 6 says this. And I want you to see that this retirement thing, I used the retirement as an illustration earlier, and I didn't really mean to, because I think that that's a good thing. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 says this. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise. Which having no chief officer or ruler, verse 8, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. And so the scriptures clearly say that we need to be working hard and we need to be earning money and we need to be putting money away for those times when the winter comes and we're not able to earn any money. And so each of you needs to have some sort of a nest egg that you're relying on. And and I hope that it's not just Social Security. Okay, that's a precarious egg. That's an egg. That's like more like Humpty Dumpty than it is uh, something that you should be be focused on. And so we need to be like the ant. We need to be putting money away. But our focus doesn't just need to be stockpiling cash and silver and gold and all of these things. But we need to not store up treasures, but we need to store up treasures in heaven. Now listen to verse 25, and we're going to go back and we're going to talk about some of these some more. They're all going to tie in together. Verse 25 Matthew chapter 6 says this. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so the key verse here is that... You you need to not be storing up treasures in heaven, but you need to be building up treasures. You don't need to store up treasures on earth, but you need to be storing up treasures in heaven. Then he's going on to say, and he says, look at nature. You have birds who don't put away anything, yet God feeds them. You You have grass and you have flowers who are clothed more beautiful than Solomon was, who was the richest man in the world. And look at how beautiful nature is, and God is the one who clothes that. And then he says, and you, you are way more valuable than any bird or any flower or any grass. And God will take care of you. And so his advice here, the advice from God, right? This is Jesus speaking. His advice is, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so the key here is that we as believers, whenever we're talking about money, whenever we're talking about worry, whenever we're talking about 
provisions. So you could be here and you could have an excess cash flow, right? You could be in the black at the end of the month and be in really good shape where you have extra money to do with whatever you want. Or you could be here and you could have a very minimum cash flow and you could be in in the red at the end of every month, meaning you don't have enough money right this minute to get by. And this scripture speaks to all of those things. He says, don't worry. He says, you seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. And so if you have an excess of money, you need to be seeking first the kingdom of God. You need to be finding ways that you, with the resources you have, you can grow the kingdom of God. If you were to go through the scriptures and you were to look through all of the scriptures in the New Testament that talk about money, mainly the gospels, and where he talks about, Jesus talks about people handling money, all of those parables, all of those stories, you find that the person with all the money is just a steward or a manager of the money. They're not really the one who has the money. It's God who has all the money. If you have money, you are a manager and a steward of that money. And what you find over and over and over in the Gospels is that you are going to be held responsible as to how you steward God's money. And his advice here is that you seek first the kingdom and you you store up treasures in heaven as opposed to on earth. Now here, if you're here and your cash flow is much more limited, he says here, listen, the flowers, they're clothed, the birds, they eat. Don't worry then what you'll eat or drink, for the Gentiles worry about all these things. You have a heavenly father who knows exactly what you need. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so one of the things that both groups have in common of people, I think one of the ways that we can seek first the kingdom when it comes to money is we as individuals can tithe. And you say, what in the world is a tithe? A tithe starts back in Genesis chapter 14, before the law is given, before circumcision is given, before God even makes a covenant with Abraham. There's a tithe where Abraham, all of our spiritual fathers, before he is anything, he gives a tenth of everything that he has to God. And that's what a tithe is. By definition, a tithe means one-tenth. And so a tithe is not when the plate comes around and you give something. A tithe is a, is a thing. It's not just something we do, but it's a specific thing. A tithe is 10%. So if you give less than 10% to the church, you are not tithing. Okay? You are doing something else. You're giving money, and it's, you're going in the right direction. But a tithe means 10%. Everybody following me? Give me a head nod. Right? Okay, good. Thank you. You guys are still alive. And so anything above 10% that you put in the, the plate or that you give to the church, that is then an offering. See, you can't give an offering to God until you've given what he already expects. Amen? And so if you make over, say, $100,000, $150,000 a year, the government gets 33% of anything you make over about $80,000. Right? The church doesn't want that. Okay? We don't have an incremental policy. We have more of a flat tax, like all of your politicians say that they want to go to, right? Loosen up some, okay? Right? We're going to have fun while we talk about this. You guys are looking at me like I, just, like I just took money out of your account already, okay? Just lighten up. And so 
you have tithes and offerings. And so all of this goes back to when Moses gave the law and things were required of people. And so there was a law given by Moses and the people had to tithe and they had to give offerings as well. All of these things were mandatory. And so if you looked at how cumbersome tithing and offerings were in the Old Testament, our New Testament principle would be incredibly freeing. So if you're in the Old Covenant, if you're under the... Uh, If you're living in the time of Moses or you're living in the time of David, when the temple was there, you had to give all of your first fruits. And so let's say you're a farmer. Okay, you send your guys out into the field and everything you get for the first round goes to God. Right? And if you know anything about agriculture, your first fruits are always your best fruits. And so all of that, take it to the temple, it goes to God. It's to feed the priest and to keep the temple ministry going. Then, each year, you had, uh, if you had flocks, the firstborn from all of your flocks, they had to go to God also. Your firstborn males, all of that goes to God. Then, on top of that, you had certain sin offerings. You had certain free will offerings. And so every time you sinned, there's another offering, offering, offering. And so if you're in the shape I'm in some weeks, you'd be broke come Tuesday, right? You're just giving all these offerings. And so it came out to somewhere in the Old Covenant, about 30% of everything you had ended up going to the temple or going into the service of God. This was a big deal. And so you get to the time of Jesus, and now we're talking about a 10% tithe. I want to read a few scriptures in the Old Testament, and this is a dangerous thing to do because there's a big, big, big difference between Old Covenant promises and New Covenant promises right? You hopefully remember the year and a half that we spent going through the Old Testament. And we talked about the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant is given through Moses. And the Old Covenant sounds like this. If you obey, then I will bless you. Give me some head nods again. And so the Old Covenant said, you obey, and then God immediately blesses. And this was a principle that was true most of the time. And so see what God said when it came to tithes and offerings in the Old Testament. If you go about three books backwards from Matthew to the book of Haggai, we're in Haggai, we're going to start in chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1, this is verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. I want to remind you that during the time of Haggai the prophet, they were rebuilding the temple. And so God had given a commandment that the temple needed to be rebuilt, and that was their job. And so if you were in Haggai's day, and you said, hmm, how can I seek first the kingdom of God? The answer would be, build the temple that God just told you to build. And so then in verse 4, God says, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm, is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. And so the problem here is that the people have not done what God told them to do. And have you ever had months like this where you earn money and you get to the middle of the month and you go, where in the world did it all go? Like, what happened? And he says to these people, yeah, you worked, but you harvested little. You ate, but you didn't have enough. You earned money, but you put your money into a pocket or a purse with holes in it. You ever had a hole in your pocket? And you put in a handful of change, and then you go to use said change, and the change is gone. It's in somebody else's couch or something of the sorts. And 
God says that this is what's going on with them, and it's going on because they are not seeking godly things. God has told them to do something, and they're not doing it. Then in verse 7, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it, and be glorified, says the Lord. And so he says, You want to stop working hard and getting little? Do what I'm telling you. Seek first my kingdom. Go get the wood and build the temple. Then he says in verse 9, You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. And so what's going on here is that the people are supposed to be about God's business, and they're not. And God says, because of that, I have taken what you have. And the purpose of taking what they have is so that they would then ask God why he's doing what he's doing, and he could point them back to the reason why he is doing what he's doing. Hope that makes sense. That was a tongue twister. But it was to get their attention to focus on God's mission. Now you go over to the two books later in Malachi. And here's another time that God brings up this idea of tithing. Malachi chapter 3. If you remember, Malachi is the last prophet before the New Testament. So you have the book of Malachi, then you have about 400 and some years until Jesus comes on the scene. And so Malachi covers a lot of important things that he wants you to remember before Jesus comes on the scene. And this is what he says. Chapter 3 of Malachi, verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, and you have not kept them. That's bad, okay? Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And so God has told the people, listen, you have not been obeying. And they say, okay, how can we return to the Lord? What have we done? Verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And God says, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Listen, remember I said that if you're not, if you're not getting to the 10% mark, you're not tithing yet. And so here he says, apparently that was kind of a problem then too. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Then I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. And what is the key to to unlocking these promises of God? Tithes and offerings. Now, this is where it gets a little bit shaky, because these are old covenant promises, right? These people are living under the old covenant, and he says, if you do these things, then I will do this. That is not true for you today, okay? Just to, just to make that clear. Those, those promises, if you do this, then I do this, 
That's not for you. You and I are under the new covenant, praise the Lord, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so what I want you to see in these Old Testament passages are principles. That God says, when you are faithful to me with your finances, blessings come along with that. And so I want to share just a couple stories. I don't like to tell a lot of stories about myself um, because I I don't want to put myself on a pedestal. But when I shared a few stories with you about fasting, I know it encouraged a lot of you. And so I want to share with you just a couple of tithing stories and a couple of focus first on the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you. In 2005, I got out of the army. And I got out of the army in July, excuse me, in August of 2005. And I did some paperwork and I got out of the army 90 days early. And I got out of the army 90 days early because I felt that God was leading me to go to school to be a pastor. And the semester started and I didn't want to finish the army and then just sit around until a new semester started. So they had a program where they'd let you out to start a new semester. And so I kind of found out about it last minute. And so what this meant was within a two-week time period, we stopped renting the house that we had in Virginia, and we were going to move to Wake Forest, North Carolina. And so in the span of two weeks, I finished working, and I did all my paperwork to get out of the Army. And the next weekend, we went to Wake Forest, North Carolina to rent an apartment or to rent a house somewhere. And so in a two-week time period... We found a house to rent in Wake Forest, and we moved there, right? We just up and left. Two weeks. I said, Jesse, I feel like this is the direction God's taking us. She said, let's go. And so we did it. How many of you wives would love for your husband to come home and say, hey, in two weeks we're moving somewhere? You would say, oh, work must be transferring you. And then your husband says, no, honey, neither of us are going to have jobs when we get there. And she would look at you like you were an idiot. But that's the direction that God was pointing us. So we did it. We took the little bit of savings that we had, and we moved to North Carolina. And then all along the way, God provided for us. And so she ended up getting a job first, but I couldn't get a job, right? So now I'm a veteran. I've just gotten out of the military. I'm still a little bit high-strung, and I feel like every employer that I go to should hire me on the spot, right? That's just how I felt. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's how I felt having just gotten back from overseas. And I couldn't get a job anywhere, right? So it's been a month, and now I'm playing basketball at night because there's nothing else to do. My wife's at work. I don't want to study. And so I go to the gym, and I play basketball for about a month straight. I've looked for jobs all day, gone to school. Nobody hires me. Nobody hires me. Nobody hires me. Our savings account is running out, right? We're almost out of money. And so I hear one of Jesse's friends is working for this babysitting agency, right? There's this place in the mall where people would go drop their kids off. And the girl that was her friend said, yeah, we're looking for more people just to play video games with the kids and stuff like that. And I said, you're going to pay me $10 an hour to play video games with kids? Uh, I'll be there. I will sign up tomorrow. And so I go to the place. I'm like, this is going to be incredibly humbling. I've just gotten out of the service. Now I'm going to be a babysitter. And so I go to the job interview, and they say, okay, sounds good. We're going to hire you. But first you have to go to Raleigh, and you have to interview with the main person. So I'm like, okay. Uh, so I go to Raleigh, and I interview. And the whole time I'm looking around, I don't have a good feeling about everything. And I look around, and there's nothing but women working in these places. And so I finish up with the, the interview with the lady, and she says, okay, you got the job. And I said, are there, are there any men that work here? And she said, no. I said, I can't take this job. And she said, why not? All you got to do is, you know, play with the kids. I said, I can't go to work each day and worry about my wife thinking that I've cheated on her while I was at work. 
I cannot go work with all women. Not because of the women, not because of anything like that. But if I'm going to seek first the kingdom and I'm going to put my marriage as a priority, I cannot work here because of what my wife would have to go through on a daily basis. And that was me. That was what God had called me to, to seek first the kingdom. And so I turned that job down. And the very next day, I pick up a job doing something in construction that I knew how to do. And so God walked me down this journey where he wanted me to follow him and he wanted me to trust him. And I ended up keeping that job for five years the whole time that I was in school. And I had to turn down other work because I knew it wasn't what God had in mind for me. And all along the way, God was providing and putting me right where he wanted me. And so I had to stay away from what I knew was wrong and trust as I was seeking the kingdom that he would put me right where he wanted me to be. And so I get this job and I'm building fences. And money is tight. And if you saw our 2007 tax return, right, our 2006 tax return, you would see that my wife and I made it on $13,000 that year. That's how much we claimed to the IRS that we made. And do you know that we felt like we were living high on the hog the whole year? Like we felt like we were living the dream. And we look back, and they were some of the best years of our life. And we made it on that little bit of money, and we never went without and so while I was working this job, uh, building fences, I hurt my arm. I tore some cartilage in my arm, had to have arm surgery. And so my boss should have fired me, right? If, you're, if, you ha- if you have somebody on your team and you're paying them to build fences and no longer can they build fences, what do you do with that guy? Cut him loose, right? You let him go. That's what you do. Anyways, I end up getting a raise because he moves me over to start selling fences. But either way, there's about a two-week period when I had arm surgery that I couldn't do any work. And so we had a little bit of savings left at this time. And so now we're running out of money. What do we do? We seek first the kingdom of God, and we trust God with everything else. And so one day, we had just had our son. My arm is in a sling. I can't move it. So I'm holding my son with my good arm, and I walk to the door. And it was my pastor. My pastor knocked on the door, and he never came to my house. And so I looked at him. I looked at him like some of you look at me when I come to your house. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Uh, you do a little, everything okay? I'm good? Um, I said, what are you doing here? He said, God laid it on my heart to pay for your rent. I said, what? He said, God laid it on my heart to pay for your rent. I said, nah, you're not going to do that. I said, I'll see you Sunday. He said, listen, God told me to pay for your rent. And he pulled out his checkbook, and he said, tell me how much it is. I said, no. He said, listen, God told me to do this, and I'm not leaving your front porch until you let me pay for your rent. And I said, it's $650. And he wrote a check for $650, and he handed me the check, and he said, see you Sunday. And he walked away. But listen, during that whole time, being hurt, being injured, we did certain things as a family because we were concerned about seeking first the kingdom. We tithed. We gave 10% of our income no matter how little we had. Because, listen, if you make $1,000 a month and you will not give God $100, which is 10% of 1000 if I'm not mistaken, you will not give God $1,000 when you're making $10,000, okay? It's the truth. 
You, what you won't do now with what you have, you will not do later. And so if you think that when you win the lottery, you're naturally going to just give a big chunk of money and tie that money, you are dead wrong. If you are selfish with what you have now, you will be selfish in the future. And I'm telling you, I could tell you story after story after story about tithing and about other people watching them step out on faith and tithe for the first time. I had a family when we were in Wake Forest. Some good friends of ours. They had bought a vehicle when they were young. They had just gotten married. They bought this big giant truck. They jacked it up. It had big tires, big exhaust, everything. They knew they needed to sell that truck, right? That truck was absolutely burying them each year or each month. And they knew they needed to get rid of it. And that would solve all of their financial problems. But they also had a house that they really couldn't afford either. And so each month they're buried in bills. And they cannot see light. And they said, listen, we can't afford to tithe. And I said, listen, man, he was my friend. I said, you can't afford not to tithe the the hole that you've dug yourself into. And so he steps out on faith and he starts to tithe. And do you know what he does when he calls the bank to make his house payment late because he can't afford his house payment? The bank says, mister, you fill in the blank. Why are you paying your house payment? You're a month ahead. He said, I'm a month ahead. I've been struggling to make this doggone house payment for three or four years now. How am I ahead? And they said, we don't know, but we show in our system that you're ahead one month. $1,200 unaccounted for right there. Here's a guy who steps out on faith. He begins to tithe, and then he finds that he's one month ahead on his house payment. And you say, well, that's coincidence. I have another friend that was in South Carolina, and he built a house, and he got a high-interest loan so he could build his house. He didn't have enough money down to build it. He was just finishing up with college and getting married, and so he finishes his house. He's now got a high-interest loan, and nobody will give him any break whatsoever, right? He can't get another loan. He can't refinance his house. He begins to tithe, and the bank calls him and said there's a federal program out, and he gets his interest rate on his house dropped a couple points overnight the second that he decided to tithe. And so just because you don't see it in your budget, just because you can't do the math and figure out how it's going to work, God does incredible things when his people tithe. Because when you tithe, you're showing God, listen, I am seeking first your kingdom And I want to give this money, as a steward of your money, I want to give this portion of money back to you. And I have never, ever, ever seen anybody regret tithing. Now, I cannot go to chapter and verse in the New Testament that says when you give that your life will be blessed beyond measure and your house payment is going to go down and all of this other stuff. But what I can tell you is that what I have seen in my short life as a Christian and as a pastor, everybody who tithes ends up getting their financial house in order much quicker than anybody else does. Because you can't afford not to do it. And so there's other aspects of seeking first the kingdom of God that don't involve tithing. But you're going to think that I'm beating a dead horse that you need to support all of our programs. But I'm going to tell you what they are anyways. I think if you're going to seek first the kingdom of God in this day and age, then you need to be at church faithfully every week. I think that is one way that you can set aside an hour or two hours each week and you can give that time to God. And I think on Wednesday nights that you as a Christian would be well suited to set aside time to pray with other believers at church and as a body on Wednesday night. And so what does this mean, seeking first the kingdom? 
It means that you don't take a job if your job is going to take you away from following Christ. It means that you don't always have to advance in your career if it's going to take you away from following Christ. Sometimes you have to make decisions that don't make any financial sense in order to move your spiritual life forward. And it is not easy. Those times that I was looking for jobs in Wake Forest, I couldn't get a job because I refused to work Sunday morning during church and I refused to miss church on Wednesday night. And each of those people said, we don't want to hire somebody who can't work on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. But listen, I valued spending that time with the church and growing spiritually. If you will quit church for work and other things. Now listen, I'm not saying everybody quit their job. I'm not saying you're a sinner if you work on Sunday and all that stuff. I'm just saying that as a principle, when we are looking about how to prioritize our life, we need to make being together as a body a priority. Amen? All right. Let me see what else we got. I think that's going to do it for now. Let's finish with this. This is, we're back in Matthew. And we're at Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. It's the very last verse in Matthew chapter 6. And it says this. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so the end of the scripture says, the beginning of the scripture says, you need to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and don't worry about all those other things. And at the very end, he finishes by saying, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And this is not a philosophy of a hedonist who says, oh, don't worry about tomorrow. We'll get fat and happy tomorrow. But this is a statement of somebody who knows that they're a child of God and that tomorrow is in the hand of God, so you don't have to worry about it. Brothers and sisters, your whole life, every single day that you have as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in the hand of God. And you need to simply, I need to simply, obey what he says and trust tomorrow to him. And so when you go home and you talk to your spouse about tithing and you talk to your spouse about giving more financially, and you say, well, what are we going to do about this? Your conversation sometimes needs to end with, we can't worry about tomorrow. What we need to do is today, we need to obey God. And we need to trust tomorrow to God. Amen? And if you are there, that is a very, very, very safe place to be. When you are stepping out on faith and you're trusting God from day to day. In each person in this room, that looks different in each of your lives. And so don't go home and try to compare yourself to what somebody else is doing. You need to walk with God as a family. And you need to figure out what trusting God looks like in your life. Amen? Dave Ramsey always says, don't try to keep up with the Joneses because the Joneses are broke too. Okay? And so don't get caught up comparing yourself to everybody else. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the finances that you have entrusted to us. And Father, I pray that we as believers in Jesus Christ would be faithful and good stewards of the things that you've entrusted to us. 
Father, I pray that when you come back, that you would see that we have been busy storing treasures in heaven as opposed to building empires on earth for ourselves. And so, Father, I pray that you would open up opportunities for us to give and to give generously. And, Father, I pray that you would help us uh, in our monthly budgets to put you first. Lord, I pray that our first 10% would always go to you. And, Lord, I pray that we would be able to give that tithe to you with a whole heart and that we would be anxious and joyful givers. And so, Father, I pray that when we do that, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness not to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would stand for a hymn of invitation. Well, it was a pleasure as always worshiping the Lord with you. I hope that you all have a great week. Uh, A lot of big things in store for us as a church, so I hope that you'll uh, be here for the next few weeks to kind of hear what's uh, what's going on. And um, I'm going to ask Dr. Tarkington if you would close us in prayer.